0: Good morning, my name is Jim Barcliffe, pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship, and we're glad that you have joined us for this message today. We're not ready to quite stream our worship services as people begin to come back in, and we have some people here today, but we will eventually move into uh, streaming our whole service, but we're glad that you're here today. Uh, to enjoy this message. I think this is one of the best messages in my uh, walk with the Lord and sharing from the Word as a pastor, as a preacher, that I believe I could ever share with you. I pray God has already prepared your heart to receive because I believe that probably all of you are ready for a word from the Lord. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for those that are uh, sick with this coronavirus, but also pray for protection for those that are uh, in harm's way, those first responders and so forth all over the world. We continue to be in prayer. I'll say this, and I believe this with all my heart. We know that this particular virus, although many people have lost their lives, and we want to pray and bring comfort, Lord, to those that have lost loved ones in this coronavirus. uh, And and we certainly uh, don't minimize this at all. But I believe that the change that we're seeing is a result of God's people praying. Yes, we're social distancing and we're washing our hands and we're uh, dis- uh, we're staying apart from others and and doing a lot of things that obviously we know that uh, people had advised that we would do. But I'm going to give God the glory and thank him for answering our prayer. So thank you, Jesus, for answering our prayer as we pray and continue to pray that, Lord, you would stop this coronavirus in Jesus name. But I do believe also, before we begin, I'll share something with you. I believe that God is pouring His Spirit out in the midst of this crisis. And many times, as you know throughout history in the times of adversity, that God uh, begins to pour His Spirit out. And He does some things. And I know in my life, and I'm sure in yours, that we're all praying and it does something and draw closer to the Lord. We realize our true dependency is upon Jesus himself and not upon uh, our wealth. If we have anything or maybe our possessions or any of those types of things, our uh, hope is in the Lord and uh, he is drawing people all over. So I pray today that you're hearing this message today, that the word of God would pierce your hearts and touch you and, and, and just release you from that shame and guilt because you've received Jesus Christ into your life. And that is the purpose of why we're here, to share the good news, to pray for the sick, lay hands upon the sick, to cast out demons, to also to walk in the the truth of God's love. Each and every day, I pray today, even today, the anointing of God would enter into those places where you're watching this video or this message, anointing of God and God would you'd really sense and be aware of God's presence with you because he is with us right now. He's here with us. He's with you. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so I pray you'd be aware of that today. But before we begin, let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this wonderful day You've given us. We thank You for the privilege of being able to come together in the name of Jesus and share Your Word. Share truth, O God, because Your Word is truth. And uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And so, Lord, we come to You today, and we just ask You to speak to our hearts and let this message go forth all over the world, dear Lord. We know that it's truly permeating the environment of so many communities and nations. And dear God, today we believe that when we come together, the impossible is done, dear God, because of you in our lives. And so, Lord, today we ask you to come and do that and speak to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to come and reveal Jesus to our hearts. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and manifest your presence uh, in the lives of those around who are watching this here in this facility, in this cor- corporate worship gathering, we ask you, dear God, to do a mighty work in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask you to heal those that are sick, those who are afflicted. We pray that you would deliver those who are being tormented tormented by the entity, the spirits that are coming against them. We pray that you, oh God, would just release them. And dear God, they would really know experientially the freedom That Jesus Christ came as he said, I came to set the captive free. Dear God, we pray you do a mighty work in the lives of people today all over this country. Your word says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven and you will forgive their sin and you will heal their land. Dear Lord, today we come and ask you forgiveness for our sins the sins of our nation, the sins of our fathers, dear Lord. We agree with them, dear Lord, and we have strayed from the ways of God and we ask you, dear God, today that you would stay your hand of, of, of judgment, dear Lord, of discipline upon us, dear Lord, and that we would return to the God of our fathers. We pray that today, dear Lord. We pray you would move in this nation in a mighty way, that you would give our president wisdom and direction as he seeks you we ask that you would grant all leaders wisdom, dear Lord, that they would be directed by your spirit because we're living in treacherous times. And dear Lord, today we know that, that truly many, many people need to know you all over this world. So Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come. Speak. Do what you desire to do in this place. We desire to know you and to do your will. We love you. We praise you. And it's in the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. We started last week talking about your great grace and we want to, uh, this is part two and we want to talk about your great grace and I'm going to talk about God's unlimited grace. There's no limit to God's grace and we know real simply that grace is unmerited favor. It means you can't do anything and I can't do anything to earn it. I can't preach enough sermons. I can't pastor enough people I can't do enough things to got gain God's favor. So, how is it that we can bridge the gap between our sinful selves, we know, and a holy God? And I want to share with you about that today. And I believe that it's very freeing in understanding the truth of God's Word. And so, as we begin this morning, there are a couple of scriptures that I want to read, and that is from Matthew chapter 18. I want to look at verses 21 and verse 22. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, But the NIV says 77 times, but the King James Version says 70 times 7. We want to talk about that today and understanding forgiveness, because many of you may be walking in shame and guilt. Maybe you've come to the Lord and you've confessed your sin. You've turned away from your sin. And we want to share about that today in relation to grace, how great that that grace is. I want to share with you this about grace because grace is foundation, foundational to knowing the love of God, to actually having a relationship with God Almighty. Grace, unmerited favor, nothing you can do, nothing I can do to earn it. God strictly gives it to us as a gift, strictly. And he says, here it is. And all who will believe and call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says that they shall be saved. And so when we're thinking about this today, think about yourselves and think about what grace really means. It isn't a little bit of help, actually, certainly here. And it isn't a little assistance to make up the difference between what we're able to do and what God requires. Not a little bit of help here. And grace isn't God giving us credit for good intentions. But grace isn't for certainly, basically good and decent and moral people who happen to fall a bit short of perfection. Think about it again. Grace isn't for basically good and decent and moral people who happen to fall just a little bit short of perfection. And we may think and put ourselves in that category we're going, well, I haven't really done anything real bad. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't, I, 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 I said a lie back then years ago when I was in my youth and all, and I haven't done this and that and all. And, and we think, hey, you know, I'm okay. And I haven't done this and I haven't done that. But you see what grace is actually for people who deserve only God's wrath and judgment. In other words, I'm talking about you and me. We are deserving of God's wrath and judgment. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, As it is written, there's no one righteous, no one, not even one. There's no one who understands and no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. But now righteousness, I'm talking about righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, for to which the law and the prophets testify." This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who will believe. There's no difference, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the bad news. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But then he goes into the good news that we spoke of last week. But yet we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ but freely redeemed, taken out of slavery, bought out of slavery. Redemption means the redeem is to take back and buy back from slavery because you see all of us were slaves to sin, every one of us. And so the good news is that although we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and when the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God, everybody sinned, he's saying here, but everybody can be freely forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And last week I used a couple of examples here where I talked about Carla Faye Tucker, if you remember. She killed a couple people back in the early 80s here in Texas. And you remember what happened there. Many believed and saw a change of her life because somebody shared the gospel with her of Jesus Christ and she changed and eventually she was executed, certainly. And then there was also Ted Bundy. You remember there, she he It was said that he was convicted there and it was said that he killed over 30 women there. He was a a vicious murderer, if you remember. And then I thought of another, if you remember Charles Manson, who killed uh, Sharon Tate and her family. You remember that story of what happened there. And I thought about this in terms of what if these people had repented, had asked God to forgive them of their sins, what would happen at that point? Then let me tell you, They were sincere in their heart. They came to the Lord and asked forgiveness for their sins. They realized in their heart of hearts what they did. They realized that they had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then they were to enter into heaven. One day we will see them in heaven. And you go, but that's not fair. You know, that's not fair. I mean, I've been a lot better than they have. And you see, when you say that, you don't really understand what grace is. Grace is for people who are deserving of judgment and condemnation. And that's you and me. Without the grace of God, we are condemned. But God offers it freely. Why? Because it's something we can do for it? No, because of what Jesus Christ and what he did for each one of us, that he took our place on the cross. He he took our sins there. We should have been the one that died. We did. But he came and he gave us life. And he gave it to us more abundantly. And so he took our place. He took our sins. Isn't that? That's great news today. Because you look at people, and what we do is certainly, we may not have committed the crime that those people had committed, certainly, and it's horrible. And they have to, obviously, in their society, society, they have to pay for that penalty and crime. But let me tell you today, because how strong the blood of Jesus is, how powerful the blood of Jesus is, and the grace of God, they could be forgiven, just like you and I have been forgiven if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life. What a blessing to know that. And that is foundational in knowing how, how people can be reconciled to God, a holy God here. And we ask the question, how can we be forgiven? In other words, how do we enter into the right relationship with God? And how do we continue in that right relationship with God here? You see, throughout history, people have been trying to answer these questions here. And in so doing, there are religious systems that have been set up. And these religious, religious systems have actually uh, started two types of approaches in how that we actually get right with a holy God. How do we forgive, be forgiven of our sins? Because no matter whether or not we want to admit it or not, we're carrying the weight of that sin if you have not been forgiven by Jesus Christ. People walking around today and they wonder what's wrong with them and they never come into a relationship with Jesus and they carry, they're carry they carrying a weight and it's too heavy for them to bear. And so what man has come up with is an approach here. And that first approach is is by works. We've well, we got to do something here. You know, we've always, we've been told to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and and to do something. We've just got to do something to be able to make our relationship right with God here. We've got to fulfill some type of condition. We've got to do something to be able to gain God's favor. And uh, that's what's happened. Man has come up with these religions that do this. And Rick, the only religion that is not based on works is biblical Christianity. It's a religion of grace and through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. All other religions, the Hindu and the Muslim and, and also the Buddhism and all these other religions that you see, they're all based upon works and what we can do. Maybe we can repeat a prayer long enough to be able to get God's attention and be able to be forgiven. Maybe maybe we can do something to be able to gain God's attention. Maybe Maybe we can sort of give a financial gift to be able to uh, to be relieved from this guilt that we have in our hearts, because all have sinned and fallen short of the gu- of, of the glory of God, we know actually there before things began to change uh, in the church that they they had indulgences and they had a way of trying to pay off and pay here so that people would go to heaven. They thought their money could get get themselves into heaven. And maybe even today, a lot of people's money may feel that way because you see, it's good to give to to good projects and the things that are worthy to help other people. But if you're doing that to gain God's favor and to try to think that you're going to get His forgiveness as a result of that, you're into works and you're not trusting in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in one way or another. It's nothing about works at all here. And so that that's the first approach here. And under this approach, when we look at it, as we classify every system, religious system here, they try to gain God's favor and his acceptance by some type of works. And so let me ask you about this and speak about this, because you see, the problem with all these systems is that they don't work. They don't work at all. They can't work. Why? Well, first of all, the good works that they depend on are not viewed by God as having any value whatsoever. So those who rely on their works to gain God's acceptance are trying to buy something precious, something that of immense value with something that is literally worthless. Your works are worthless in God's eyes. And you're trying to buy the precious salvation That Jesus gave freely for all who will believe in him and trust in him and the forgiveness and the and the guarantee of knowing that when we die that we'll go to heaven to be with him forever and ever. We're trying to buy this with something as worthless as our works here. We're trying to exchange that for his love and his forgiveness. And so so what happens is we get real proud, don't we? We get real proud. Man, I did this. Look at what I did. I gave this amount of money to the church or I gave this amount of money to that particular uh, outfit that is helping other people. Even today, many people need food and they need supplies. And in no way am I minimizing this. We need to give towards that, but not because we're trying to gain God's favor. We actually work because we are saved. We work because we have received God's love and his forgiveness by his amazing grace here, because otherwise we become proud. And, you know, the pride in the heart of every person is very strong. That's what kicked got Satan kicked out of heaven. He became proud. He wanted to become God. He wanted to sit on God's throne there. And, you know, I don't know whether or not you ever have had a cat. We've got a cat. I don't know if you've had a cat that uh, sometimes, you know, they'll bring a dead mice, mouse to your door and drop it down. Have you ever seen the expression on that cat's face? And maybe it was my imagination, but when my cat would do that, it almost looked like that cat was smiling. They were like, Hey, look what I did for you. I brought this dead mouse in here, you know, and, and they were real proud of that. And that's the way we are. When we, we do something for God, trying to gain God's favor, we become very proud. It's very, very corrupting to our soul and realizing today that there's nothing we can do to buy God's salvation it's given freely as a gift. And Isaiah 64, listen to this. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. Please hear me out what the Hebrew means when they say filthy rags here. Okay. Now this is a little graphic. So Please bear me out, but this is the Hebrew meaning of what filthy rags actually means. It actually means menstrual rags. It means dirty undershorts is what it means. So when you come and you try to give God your so-called righteous acts to try to gain his favor and his forgiveness, you're actually handing him dirty jockey shorts is what you're doing. Isn't that revealing to you? That's how disgusting, despicable that is to God when we try to gain his favor. Why? It's because Jesus Christ went to Calvary to die for you and me, to die for the sins of the world. He gave his life for you and I. And we're trying to buy that off with something so minuscule, something that has no value to it at all by our work, certainly here, and certainly ignoring the great riches of our God, who offers it all, who will call upon him. Now, that's good news today. But all of those filthy rags that the Bible talks about and any of those things, you could say it like this. And, you know, you take a glass, a pure glass of water that that has been purified and so forth, and you've taken, put one drop of urine in it. It pollutes the whole thing. And the reason why these things are unacceptable by God is because they're tainted by sin. Even the least amount of sin and something we may value and say, or really on the low scale as far as our sin and so forth. But any sin there before a holy God is like that drop of urine in that pure water. It's offering nothing. It's giving him certainly something that is not valuable at all for something that's immensely valuable, and that is the salvation of our souls. So his reality is we can't do anything to be able to gain God's favor. Another reason here is is that we don't have any excess merit at all. We don't have anything we can use to pay the debt that is incurred by our sin. Everything that we possess, everything that we could give to God, and everything we can possibly do for God, we owe Him already. It's His already. And so we, he owe, we owe it all to Him. and he, And anything extra there, obviously... It, it does it can't pay for it. It's. It's not without any. Va- it's without any value. So it's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. We tend to view our obligations towards God very narrow, narrowly. Think about it. You know, if we give God ten percent of our income, and we should tithe, and actually go beyond the tithe, certainly is God's blessing. But I certainly believe in the tithe. And then we give Him a few hours on Sunday, and perhaps we attend a meeting sometime during the week. We feel like somehow we've done our duty and the rest of our time and the rest of our money and our possessions, they belong to us. That's the way we feel, isn't it? No, I'll give God a little bit of my time. I'll kind of, you know, come on. I I feel like I want to kind of feel a little bit religious anyway. I want to give. I'll give him a little bit, and and so forth. I'll go to church and have a couple hours there at church, and and you know get into Sunday school and study and so forth. And then, but the rest of this time, my time is next week. My time is on Sunday afternoon. My time is this. We do these types of things. You see, the reality is God owns it all. It's all God's. It's every part of His. It's His and His alone. And we think sometimes we're doing these great obligations and so forth and all. We take this and we feel like, well, I'll just give you a little extra there when it all belongs to God. Every bit of it belongs to God. So why is this? Is this because God is unreasonable and demanding and ungrateful? No. It's because God is absolutely and extremely worthy. God is worthy of everything we could possibly offer to Him. He's worthy of our own service, of our worship, of our love, of our devotion, of our obedience of all of our labor, our sacrifice, of all of our sufferings, and all of our treasures. He's worthy of all we can do or give, you see. It's not because he's demanding taskmaster, because he gives it freely, and he owns it all. Makes it look, certainly I believe, that the things we possess a little differently, you know, we just don't hold on to them tightly. We know they're not ours. We know that God owns it all. and The blessing there is because of his grace. All. Because of his grace here, and so, and so, this first approach of man trying to bridge the gap between himself and God by his own works—it doesn't work. We're doomed to failure before we even begin. If there's going to be a reconciliation, then that it, that it has to come from God to us. If there's anything going to happen here, it's got to come. We realize that. Does everybody get that? Everybody get that? It's nothing we can do. To earn God's favor. And you know, one of the things I believe that wears a lot of Christians out is because they start out in the spirit and they realize and understand God's grace, but then they start working to try to maintain and sustain God's favor. And we get tired and we get worn out. And the book of Galatians, the whole book is spoken of there. When Paul says you began in the spirit, but now you're trying to gain it by, by, uh, by somehow your works and so forth. And you can't do it because you can't live up to it. It's all grace. It's grace from the beginning and grace till the end. It's grace, grace, God's grace. You see, that's what it is today. If we can get that down in our hearts, everybody get that out there. Does everybody understand that it is all God's grace? Or look at this. The second approach here is by grace. And I'll read the definition I read last week. Grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. And again, that's you and me. That's you and me. that deserve only God's judgment and and condemnation on us. And I mentioned last week when, when God touched me back in November of 1985 and he began to draw me and I believe I accepted Christ as a young boy. I remember and I give him my testimony and and uh, I believe I did. I received Christ. But I never—I didn't walk with the Lord. I got into all types of things. I was in rebellion against God. And God began to draw me because I began to teach Sunday school and things began to happen. And I could tell that God was doing something special in my life. I didn't know what it was. So in Pearland and in, in uh, November of 1985, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. And God, Jesus, revealed himself to me. And I realized at that moment that if I was the only sinner the only one on this whole wide world, think about it, then Jesus still would have went to Calvary for me. He still would have hung on the cross for Jim Barcliffe. He would have done that. And I realized at that moment, encountering the Lord and His holiness there in my living room in our home, I realized that the darkness of sin, I realized the, the weight of my guilt and shame, I realized how heavy it had been on my life and all. But you see right behind it, Jesus revealed his grace right behind it. The good thing, the good news. That's the good news, you see. We realize that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But then we realize the grace of God. I think at various times in all of our lives that God reveals the grace of God experientially. Is he doing that in your life? You see, I believe we're in a season where God does that. He does it all the time because that's his nature. He's a God of grace and mercy. Never ending grace and mercy. But I believe we're really seeing that people are beginning to experience that more and more and more. And let me tell you, count on it because God is doing this. We look at God's grace. It's something we don't deserve. We deserve again because we think we just fall a little bit short of perfection. We think that somehow we just can, can, can't quite get there. We need a little No, you need grace like crazy. You need all of God's grace and so do I. I need gra- God's grace every day. I pray for God's grace before I stand before the public and speak. I pray for God's grace when I get up in the morning and I've got certain chores to do. I ask for God's grace, God's grace there. Actually, it means it's favor. And grace actually means the ability to do what God has called us to do. He gives us that ability freely without any cost and all. It cost his son his death on Calvary, but he rose from the grave. But you and I, we receive it freely into our lives. Can't earn anything. So if the enemy's telling you, you've screwed up for the last time, I want to share with you some good news about that and what grace actually means. In Ephesians chapter 2, listen to this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're already seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches, riches, listen to the, the verbiage here, of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one can boast. Nobody can boast. Because, see, if we thought we could work it out, we'd be like the cat to bring the mouse in, the dead mouse and say, hey, didn't I do good? Didn't I do good here, Lord? And again, I'm not saying don't work for the Lord because you love him and because of he saved your life. He saved your soul. But work for the Lord, not for your, your salvation. Work because you love him out of love for him. And that's what works are all about. But works don't gain favor with God. You have favor with God because of his amazing grace here. Listen to this story. This story is fascinating as I put this together. One I had not remembered as I've studied the Bible over the years, but a wonderful story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David's, remember David became friends with Jonathan, which was Saul's son. Remember that? And, and all. And Jonathan did some things to David that actually, um, it was pretty deplorable, but he was friends. David was a man of God. And remember there uh, in, in uh, the Bible says that, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. I want to be a man after God's own heart. That's my desire, my longing. And I don't know, calling it a goal is not necessarily uh, the right word, but that's what I want. I want God's spirit to work in my life that I'll be a man after God's own heart. Maybe you want to be a man after God's own heart. Maybe you want to be a woman after God's own heart today. And that's what's been on your heart today. I want to tell you, it's not because you kind of conjured that up. It's because God's spirit is working that in your life. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 9 here, we see the story. You know, Saul and Jonathan, they were killed in battle with the Philistines there. And then David became became king, remember? And let's read this. David asked there, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And Ziba answered the king, He said, there is still a son of Jonathan, and he's crippled in both feet. He's crippled in both feet. And when the word, his name is Methiloboseth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay pay him honor. And David said, Methiloboseth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Get a picture here of what's going on. At this particular time of history those who had gone out of the kingship, which Saul was the king. And remember, he disobeyed God, and actually uh, God took him out of that kingship and his family and so forth. And so it was customary for the incoming king to kill all of the sons and the grandsons of the king that was leave- leaving that position. That means killing Jonathan and then also Mephibosheth, Okay. It was customary at that time. Why? It's because they would try to possibly come in. They didn't want them to try to come in and disrupt the dynasty, in this case, David's dynasty. But David didn't kill him. But Mephibosheth, when he came in to eat with, with David there, I'm sure he was scared to death as he thought, this is my last day on planet Earth. This is all she wrote for me. David said, come on in. Come in. I'm bringing you in here. And it says that David showed kindness to Mephibosheth. And so he thought, again, he's going to die. David was a man after God's own heart, and God showed him He showed him uh, a kindness there and all. And so what does he say? Instead of putting Mephibosheth to death here, David does an amazing thing. Not only does he spare his life, but he also restores him to all of Saul's property, making him immensely wealthy, and he gives him the right to eat from the king's table, right beside his sons there, and sitting there, again, beside David's sons. And it would be hardly possible to find another story in the Old Testament that proclaims the gospel like this particular story here. Think about it for a minute, what it actually means. You see, just like Nethiboseph, we have nothing to expect from our king, God the Father, except judgment and death. Nothing to expect. And yet, not only has God forgiven us, but he's also granted us all the riches of his kingdom and the promise of eternal life. And he's made us members of his own household. Now, isn't that good news? Look at the the parallelism here that's that's showing here in the Old Testament. Seth didn't deserve anything. And normally they would be put to death. But David showed him favor and said, come on in and eat. Right beside my sons is what he did. He brought him right on in. And the same way with you and I. We're deserving of judgment and death. And he says, come on in and eat in my, at my table today. That's what God is inviting you and me to eat at his table. Hallelujah. He prepares a table before us in what? The presence of our enemies. Our enemies look on while we're sitting and feasting at the table of God, and they can't touch you and me. Hallelujah! That's good news. That's grace. Great grace. Mephibosheth, obviously, is deserving of all of this. But why did David accept Mephibosheth? First of all, he's a man of God. But second of all, it says that he did this, what? For Jonathan's sake. It was Jonathan's son. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And why does God do this grace thing for you and me? For Christ's sake. For Jesus' sake. He does this. Now that's exciting news to me, church. He does it for Jesus' sake. Not anything I could do to earn it. He does it because of his son, Jesus Christ. For Jesus' sake here. And one more thing about Methyloseph here is that it says in several passages here that he was crippled in both feet. You see, Methyloseph actually just had a future of nothing but being a beggar on the streets because of his crippled feet there. Can you see the parallelism between you and I? We're crippled in our feet, so to speak. And we have nothing. We, we have no future. We have no hope. We could just be beggars there, if it could be. But Jesus, God has redeemed us by his grace. And he's placed us at his table. He's forgiven us. We have eternal life. We have the riches of his kingdom. Already it says there in the book of Ephesians. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news, church? It's good news. Grace. We can't earn it. We try to, you see, because the nature of man is down deep. It's like, I got to do something for this because we're taught, you know, I have high work ethics, always have. It was instilled in me. I believe, I know my father and probably generations past, but, but I had that and I work hard and all that. But one of the things as far as the kingdom of God and trying to gain God's favor, I can't earn it and work hard enough for it. I just receive it and the blessings of God come flowing in. How many of you experienced that? Can you say amen to that? I've experienced the blessing of the Lord eating at his table. That's good news, church, I want to tell you. And so we're crippled also, you know, and we see here it's entirely just nothing but a gift. Nothing but strictly a gift there at all here. And we look here. Let me just read one more verse on this topic before we move on. In John chapter 6, 28, verse 28, and 29. You don't know how you get this stuff? <laughs> you don't know. Listen to this. You think, Jim, you got some kind of formula you're going to tell us how we can work through to get to a place? Because this sounds good to me. Are you thinking that in your heart? Maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, if I, Jim, don't, is it complicated or is it easy? It's very simple. Listen to this verse, John chapter 6, verse 28 and 9, 29. And then they ask him, What must we do to do the works? That God requires. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. Whoa, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work I require. I can do that. I believe Jesus. How about you? I believe that he is the one sent by God. I believe he's the Messiah, the chosen one. I believe He's the Redeemer of the world and all who will call on His name. And I'm talking about all. I'm not talking about somebody. I'm talking about everybody today. Listen to this. If you've never called on the name of the Lord, call upon the name of Jesus today. And it's Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing. You go, what I got to do? You said right here, it said, believe upon Him, the one that was sent, Jesus Christ. That's the Word of God and that's true. You see, that's the only work that God requires of us in coming to Him just to believe and that is uh, to place our faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and sins and eternal life. Now, let me tell you, this gets better. Y'all think that's good? Wait till you hear this. It gets better. You see, grace is a gift that we don't, don't earn and deserve. And yes, we agree to, if you've listened, we agree that we can add nothing to it or subtract anything from it. But sometimes we wonder, If 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 grace somehow is limited, you think somehow is grace. If perhaps so that we can sin so deeply, so repeatedly that God will finally throw up his hands and say, enough is enough. I've had it with you, buddy. I'm letting you go. You feel like maybe somehow he's going to throw his hands up in the air and maybe you feel like that. You're watching this today and you feel like, hey, I I promised God these things and I promised this and that. And I I backslid. I have turned away from God. I came up in the church and I believe what was said there. And I had sort of a warm, just a sense of who Jesus was. But then I went and did my own thing. Maybe if somebody here today watching this and thinking you have somehow. Outsend the grace of God. Well, let me tell you, the good news is you haven't. The good news is that you can't outsend the grace of God here. Or maybe you feel like in one way or another you are doing the same sin over and over and over again. Or perhaps maybe God might be really shocked by what you've done because your sin is so horrendous. You know, we talked about Ted Bundy, we talked about Charles Manson. We talked about others, Carla Faye Tucker earlier and so forth, and we think, my goodness, you're talking about these people can be redeemed? Maybe there's hope for me. And maybe even though I've strayed and maybe I've sinned over and over and over and over again, that God is saying, I've had enough of you here. You see, why do we think that way? Why is that? It's because that's the way we think about other people. And that's what we think other people are thinking about us. You know, when we mess up like that, we look at somebody else and you go, that person, you know, maybe they've they've hurt you over and over and over again and so forth. And you're like, that's enough, enough. And I'm not saying, obviously, that shouldn't be corrected. But I'm telling you today, I'm talking about God's forgiveness for you and me. Listen to what the word of God says there again in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? He said up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, you're not seven times, but again, NIV is 77 times. King James is 70 times seven or 490. But the reality is what Jesus is saying here, you forgive indefinitely. Well, you say that person has hurt me several times now and I've had it and so forth. Does God expect me to forgive them of that? Yes, because why? Because he forgives you and me in the same manner. Over and over and over and over again. I have sinned more than 490 times. Trust me. Ask people around me. It's over and over and over and over and over. His forgiveness without any limit. It's unlimited grace. We somehow will slip into saying, well, maybe I can work for it a little bit here now that uh, he's forgiven me the first time. I know that. But I'm talking about every day as a gift of his grace. Every day is a gift of this grace. You see, during this time of when Jesus walked on this earth, the theologians thought, basically it said, well, you forgive somebody three or four times at the most. That's what the theologians said. Jesus said, no, no, no. So Peter, what he thought about, he went, well, I know that Jesus is greater than this. So I'm going to put it up there. Seven times, Lord? That sounds like I'm I'm covered on this seven times, Lord. And Jesus said, "No, no, no, you don't understand what I'm saying." He said, "You're way too low." He said, no, you, "You thought you were getting it high. No, you're way low. It's seventy times seven, indefinitely, on and on and on." That's who God God is. Now, to me, that's the greatest news. You see, to know we're forgiven, to know that God has cleansed us. And we can approach. You see, the veil in the temple was rent when Jesus said it's finished. It broke. It went right to. And symbolically, we can go into the throne, the holy of holies, and we can ask for grace and mercy in our time of need. His mercies are new every morning. Great is our faithfulness, O Lord. His mercies and grace are new every morning. Let me tell you, they're, mo- they're new every moment of every day. That's good news. The best news of any Thing we could ever imagine here. And that's my point. There's no limits to God's forgiveness. There are no limits to God's grace. God knows our past, He knows our present, and He knows our future. And He knows what you're going to do, and He knows what I'm going to do. He already knows. He knows the decisions where I'll really flub the dub, I'll mess it up real bad. He already knows. And His grace is sufficient. His grace and, and the blood covers Jim Barcliffe and he covers you and I because he already knows and nothing surprises him. Nothing. And so what does that cause us to want to do? Causes us to want to sin less and to, to please him and to love him and praise him, to be in love with Jesus, you see. That's what it's all about today, church. I'll read a couple of scriptures here. In Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate. And gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. And then in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Uh, Isaiah 43, 25, and then Micah 7, verse 19. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hur- hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. <laughs> he didn't bring them up. Does God forget them? Now God's God and he, he knows, but he never uses them and says, see what you've done? You have tested my patience here and I'm tired of it. And I'm cutting you loose. He never, ever does that. His grace is unlimited. Isn't that good news? Good news, church. You see, as far as the east is from the west, remembering them no more, casting them into the depths of the sea, God forgives. Here, the fact of the matter is, the way it means, actually what it means is, it's as if we have never sinned. (laughs) Oh, I know what I've done. Maybe you know what you've done. And it's as if we've never sinned that God offers grace to you and me. Sometimes I walked in guilt because going through life, things you deal with and things, things you've spoken, actions, even thoughts, or maybe things you've allowed, you see, mold around your mind and all. You didn't take them captive and cast them out. And you've carried a weight on your life. You've carried it, and you've never really realized it. I talked to somebody, it's been a few months ago, a good friend of mine that mentored me earlier as I went into ministry. And he said, Jim, you know, when you ask forgiveness for your sins, it's like, poof, they're gone. They're gone. God remembers them no more. And you know, from that point on, it started me on a journey of wanting freedom. And why is that? Because not just as a pastor, but also in in pastoring people, shepherding them. I see people today that are walking in bondage. People who, who don't know the freedom that God gives. And you know what happens? You don't have any joy. You don't have any peace. You don't have any of that which God has given to us through Jesus Christ as Lord. And we walk in that bondage. And sometimes people walk all the days of their life because with hospice, when I would sit at the bedside of people who were dying, terminally ill, I remember many, I sat there at the bedside, take a stool and sit there and talk to them and talk to them about God's forgiveness. And they may be up in years and they're experienced facing death here and they never realized about the forgiveness and the grace of God. It's fundamental. It'll change your life. And my prayer today is for all who are watching this, that God's Spirit will work the reality, experientially the work of grace in your life that you'll know that you know about God's forgiveness for you and me and nothing you can do to earn it. Jesus has already paid the price. That's what I'm praying for you today. You see, the law in Romans 5 says in verse 20, 21, the law was added so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I realize maybe some of you it raises a question. If grace is really so unconditional and unlimited disease, then can I just keep on sinning? Can I just keep on on sinning and and so forth and and run back to God and and ask for forgiveness and so forth? and, And you know, I want to address that, but it's going to be you got to wait till next week. I'm going to talk about that. That's good. But let me tell you, be guaranteed one thing from the word of God. The grace of God is without limit and how that works out and plays out. We'll talk about it next week and so forth. But let me tell you, when we stand before God almighty, I believe we'll just come before him and we will praise him forever and ever and ever for who he is, obviously, but for who is for his grace that has been shed abroad in our hearts. His love, his grace, and his mercy. Can't earn it at all. Isn't that good news, church? Grace of God, unlimited. So if you think you've out-sinned the grace of God, then you haven't. I'll tell you today, the Bible is very clear about that. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faith. Every day, he puts a new new supply of grace and mercy in that bucket for you and me, okay? And I know I dip out of it during the day. And Lord, I need it. I need it. I need it. Yet you know, the Bible says he gives us life and breath and everything else. So everything that we get is from God Almighty. It says in, in the book of James, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Okay. And so everything, that grace, that great grace. I'll read this song again from Matt Redmond that I read last week. That that ministers to me and pull it up on YouTube, Matt Redman, and the title is Your Grace Finds Me. It's there in the newborn cry, right there when, when the baby's being born. It's the grace of God there. There in the light of every sunbeam. The light came in our bedroom this morning. I could see that. It's there, God's grace. There in the shadow of this light. The shadow of the light. Your great grace. It's there on the mountaintop. If any of you ever been to mountains, you stand at the mountaintop and you look, and you see the grace of God because they're beautiful. It's there in every day and the mon- mundane. It's there every day in the mundane things. When you feel like, man, it's dry and I feel just as bored as you can ever get. It's right there, that God's grace there. There it is in the sorrow and the dancing. When I'm dancing and when I'm sorrowful, God's grace is right there. Your great grace. It's there from the creation to the cross. There from the cross and to eternity. Your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. It's there on the wedding day. The couple, the bride and the groom come together. It's grace there. There by the weeping, by the graveside. All the many times that I've done services, being hospice and so forth, there at the weeping by the graveside, God's grace was always available. There in the very breath we breathe, God's great grace. It's same for the rich and poor, the same grace, no matter about your wealth or lack of. The same for the saint and for the sinner, God's grace. The same grace for you and for me and for all the world. Who will believe? Jesus said, remember, God said, just believe. What's the work we're to do? Just believe in the one that I sent. Enough for this whole wide world. Enough grace for this whole wide world. Your great grace. Oh, such grace. (laughs) Good news. Great grace. Unlimited. So you have not blown it too much for God to bring you in. sometimes we feel like the devil will tell you, you've done, you're done you know you know he's talking to people today he's saying you're done and the fear is what's happening because he's unleashing fear because of this coronavirus he's unleashing these things in people's lives and people are scared to death about this wondering and so forth and i'm not saying not to be cautious and certainly use the precautions in place but i'm telling you today we don't have a spirit of fear for the bible's clear about it in second timothy chapter 1 he didn't give us a spirit of fear but what of love power and sound mind I pray today for each one of you. I just believe there's somebody here that's listening to this message that needs to accept Christ today. And you've thought all along that you've blown it too much. Somehow, you have sinned so bad that God can't forgive you. If somebody listens to this right now, And I want to give you assurance of what the Word of God says. is that God's grace and His redemption through Jesus Christ is for you and for me and for all of the world. And I believe, as this song says here in, in the words, is God's grace is finding you. And you're coming to a place to where you're surrendering your life to God through Jesus Christ. And you're feeling actually the burden lifting from your shoulders, even as we speak. The burden of sin and shame and guilt of something you've done in your life. You've done something and you know it was horrible. And you know that there's no way out. And so somehow you've connected with this message today through our website or YouTube or Facebook. You've connected. And I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe that it's God's ordained will that you have tuned in today to hear this word about grace. You can't earn it at all. All you do is believe and accept and receive. That's all you do. And I believe somebody's watching this today that needs to know that Jesus loves you and that he has forgiven you of every sin and that you have a future in him The devil has told you you'll never amount to anything, maybe even raised in a family that told you you would never measure up. And somebody's here listening today and saying something's happening. I want to tell you what that is. It's hope. It's the hope, the certainty of knowing that Jesus Christ came to redeem you from the pit of hell and set your feet on a rock and give you a future and a hope. And he has plans for you. That's who God is. There's somebody here that needs to be delivered. And I speak it against anything that's bothering you right now. I, I just take authority over it in Jesus' name and command it to go in Jesus' name. Spirit of fear, especially. The spirit of fear. And there's somebody here that needs healing. I just pray right now, all of us together, intercede for you for healing in Jesus' name, that you would be healed from the from the bottom of your toes to the top of your head, that you would be healed in Jesus' name. So whatever the decision that you make today, as you have listened to this message, I pray God's blessings upon you. I bless each and everyone watching in the name of Jesus. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening in today on this. Next week, we're going to talk about that which I just ended on, and, and how is this? How That further grace as we've talked about this, I pray you were encouraged by this. And last week, if you go to our website at, at uh, lighthousefellowship.info, it will put you on to the website and you can lock in and, and watch those messages. I just pray you'll be set free as a result of that. Let's pray together if we close. Father, thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. And thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word and your testimony, Oh God. I pray for all of those who are watching this today that you would touch their hearts and, and Father, we ask that you would heal and bind up the broken hearted. That Father, today people get delivered and healed and saved. May your presence abide with us in a, a real personal and intimate way, dear God. Thank you, Lord, today that you're speaking all over this world. We do pray, Lord, that you would just rid this world of this coronavirus in Jesus' name. We pray that. We speak against that. And we pray, dear Lord, that the health and and, and prosperity in people's lives, to get back to work, to be able to feed their families, and, Father, to be able to make that living. We pray that. Pray for wisdom that you would direct us. We pray for those that are, are working with us, the doctors and nurses, and, Lord, and the first responders. We pray for them this day. Give them strength. Give them wisdom. Protect them and guide our steps. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Y'all have a great day in the Lord. It's good to share with you. God bless. Amen.